right, today we got a special uh, edition of the Baruch Lurie Show, the podcast rather. We, uh, we're going to be talking a lot about my book, Atheism Kills, which is about to be uh, uploaded and uh, available for pre-order and such, and we're excited about it. And I, I have to say, it's, uh, it's, it's been a really long journey, but a fun one, an engaging one, an enlightening one, a little bit of a scary one at the same time, because truly the, uh, the title evokes the main mission of the book, which is to show that atheism kills. It does. It's a, it's a highly destructive force. As I say somewhere in my book, it's like a hurricane. It's a hurricane that uh, knows only how to destroy, right? When was the last time you saw a hurricane that kind of did something good in the process, right? It's not as if it, you know, a hurricane went to a diversion and, and decided to build a nice house for somebody, right? A hurricane, no, it only knows one thing, destroy. The only, and, and it's unpredictable in its strength and also where it's going to go, right? But we do know that wherever it does go, uh, it's not going to be pretty, okay? People will die. Uh, a lot of destruction in its, in its wake, a lot of flooding. Uh, you get the picture. And so it is with, with atheism. So today we'll be talking a lot about some specifics of the book and, and some queries that uh, uh, Ari has had because he's read the book thoroughly. He, he's enjoyed it quite a bit. Thank you very much, Ari, for doing that. And, uh, you know, just to, you know, some topics that he wanted to touch upon. So uh, go ahead. Have at it. Uh, yeah. And. First of all, the book is fantastic. Buy it as soon as you can. Read it. A very important book in all respects. The first question that I have as someone who read the book, though, is why now? Uh, yeah. There's been so much uh, interreligious, non-religious, religious conflict in the world. And, you know, first of all, you know, an even better question, sir. Why did you write this book? Why do you <laughs> think other people haven't? Okay, so... That's it. Okay, I'll, I'll do the. I like the why now question though. But the reason why I've written it is, you know, I don't know. I just was always very passionate about it. I feel like I was infused with the the the, the excitement and desire to know all about God ever since I was a tiny, tiny kid. Ever since I was five, I don't know what prompted it. I just know that I was always in in a tangle with God. I truly struggled with God. You know, the, the whole notion of Israel and Jacob, uh, you know, dealing with with God. Uh, that's me. I, I just always want to know God. And so first I resisted him, but I, now I know I was fighting him. I rejected him, but in, in fact, uh, he was there while I was rejecting him. And then, you know, through fits and starts, I began to understand that I was wrong, that, that free will really, that, that opened the door for me. Once I recognized free will can only come from a creator, uh, that's, that's when I began to see clearly. And so I became uh, very passionate about God. I, I, and the reason why I, become, I could become passionate about God is because I saw how dangerous my thinking was. You know, my, my phrase uh, that I've said, even when I was, was an atheist, was, uh, I'm an atheist, but thank God nobody else is. And <laughs> I never understood the, the internal contradiction, the irony of that sentence. I really felt it was true. And it was true. I was right. It, was, it is a very dangerous ideology, and I recognized it at the time that I was an atheist. I felt like I was above it all. You, you religious wahoos, well, have at it if you like, but the, the, you know, I know the real truth. I know that there ain't no God, and I'm going to do whatever, whatever I damn well please. Sure, I don't want to go to jail and such like that, so I'll try to keep in the straight and narrow, but you know, if I can get away with crap, then there's so much uh, the more power to me, right? But, uh, of course, imagine if everyone thought that way. 
right? It, you, it would be a horrible world. Yeah, I'm a drunk driver, but thank God no one else is. Right, right? exactly right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm a thief, but thank God nobody else is. You know, I'm a murderer, but thank God nobody else is. So <laughs> that's, I'm a rapist, but thank God. Just the, I mean, that's how, that's how we say, but, but I got to give myself credit. I was really intellectually honest. Now, I, <clears throat> and I was really thorough as an atheist. I know all the arguments. So there's a whole chapter in the book that goes into great detail um, about the atheist's argument. I, yeah, I say you they take are, their side and you make their arguments for them to uh, strengthen your right. thesis of the book. Right. I, I, it, it's fascinating because uh, many atheists who have read that chapter said, thank you for the great arguments. I didn't think about a couple of them. <clears throat> so I actually emboldened them. And I said, well, read the next chapter, my friend, because that's the argument against atheism. Yeah, the hurricane will come and blow down that house of cards. Right, exactly right. Will. But look, that's the Dostoevsky approach to uh, God. What he, what he did so well in all of his writings, but especially in the last one, The Brothers Karamazov, <clears throat> is that he, he made the case for atheism. He wanted to make the best case possible because he wanted to be intellectually honest and then to destroy it. So he had a debate within his own book, so to speak, but it was done by way of fiction. And the Brothers Karamazov is essentially a murder mystery. Um, there are four brothers, um, and, and one of them has killed the, their father. The father is a bad guy, but nevertheless, he didn't deserve to be murdered, but he was killed. And you're wondering who among these four brothers killed their father. So it's, it's very exciting. And, there's a, and in, the, in the beginning of the book, there's a... The, the high intellectual atheist named Ivan, he uh, sets about and tells this beautiful story, a powerful story called The Grand Inquisitor. You may have read about it when you were in high school or college. And it's considered the most powerful argument for atheism ever done, uh, you know, before my, my chapter. <laughs> No, I'm kidding. I, th I think it was a really fantastic Don't kid. There's Dostoevsky and you and everything else in the Bible yeah. and everything else don't bother with. <laughs> well, anyway, Dostoevsky is my hero on that one. And then he spends the rest of the book fighting that. Anyway, I, I don't want to get into that book too much. The point is, that's what prompted me to do it. I realized I was always in a tangle with God. And it's just what animates me. I, I don't know why. It just is. I, that's what I have been infused with. Other people have been infused with uh, playing tennis. Other people, there's one guy I know who just loves the weather. That's all he can think about is the weather, and he studies the weather. Good for him. But God gave me a desire to study God and to figure out God uh, time and time again. It's like the only thing that excites me. Uh, not the only thing, of course, but, but this is the thing. When I have leisure time, I want to learn about God. And, but I think I'm somewhat unique in this process because of my experience um, and that, this gets to the why now argument. There, there are plenty of books about God and why God is there, the case for God, the case for Jesus. Uh, and, and I applaud them all. I think that's wonderful. And they, I think they make powerful arguments. My favorite one, by, by the way, being from a Christian author, um, C.S. Lewis, who wrote Mere Christianity. It's a fantastic book. And his, uh, his logic is so powerful. It's not so much about Christianity. It's about God. And so for Jews and Christians alike, I think you'll, you'll really like this. As I often say, um, no God, no Jesus, right? <laughs> you, you can't, it, it, Jesus can't be the son of God if, if God doesn't exist. So first, lay the foundation and make sure that, that you can establish that there, there must be a God. If you can't do that, then what's the point of anything else? Uh, so <clears throat> that's one thing. Then the, the why now argument also is that 
epiphanies about what's what. Uh, and the epiphany that I had is that we are in a free fall. Our civilization is about to hit the ground. Think of it like a, like a parachute. Uh, sorry, somebody falling from a pain, a paratrooper, whatever a you skydiver. want. Skydiver. Skydiver, there you go, yeah. better yet. And, you know, there's a point beyond which if you open up your chute or don't open up your chute at all, yeah, it will work. You're, you're going to die. Yeah. All right. So, and we're getting close to the ground. The ground is, you know, relative to our perspective, is approaching us. <laughs> and we're going to hit that ground really hard. And I see that if unless we open up our chute right now, we're going to really suffer. And that chute, of course, is God. We, we must open this, this parachute up because it, it's, we're going to go into a free fall. It'll be very dangerous. Yeah, we must, as an as a aggregate yeah. culture, return to God, return to faith, return to right. uh, ethical, uh, right. God-centered society right. rather than the uh, leftist lurch towards, as you write, in the yeah, atheist, exactly right. godless society. One of the epiphanies I had also is that, and this is the, the why now argument, it really, I mean, I, I see history as, as one big movie. Okay, so I look at how much time we're spending in Afghanistan as, as, a, as a nation fighting the bad guys in Afghanistan, how much time we spent in Iraq uh, for questionable you know, conclusion, how much time we spent in Vietnam, and so forth. And, and I look back and compare that to the three and a half years that America spent its involvement in World War II. Okay, and in World War II, people forget, we were... Our, our army was smaller than the size of Romania's army at the time. Okay, in 1941, before we entered into um, <clears throat> World War II, our army was smaller than that of Romania's. We were just not interested in so many <clears throat> world affairs and such. We were done with World War I. We thought we did our job. You get the idea. But in three and a half years, we were able to not only defeat both Germany. I mean, and, and our involvement was absolutely 100% critical. We defeated not only Germany, but we defeated uh, the imperialist uh, Japan. And Italy. And Italy, of course. And all the good stuff that we had done. And not only that came out of it with the, the greatest army and military might, we became an empire uh, somewhat, you know, figuratively overnight in three and a half friggin' years. And then, and then when it comes to Vietnam, these, these Viet Cong idiots, and it's only, the theater is only one country, Right against one very poorly armed uh, enemy. And we're there for eight years. And it comes to a conclusion that is, uh, you know, very sad. Ambiguous at, at best. At best. We won in 73, but then we squandered that victory in 75. And we don't need to get into the details of that right now. But the point is that we should have totally taken over that country with no, no problem whatsoever. So, and likewise, to a lesser extent with Iraq, but to a greater extent with Afghanistan, the similar story. And you wonder, why is that? How, how can we not win and, uh, with even greater firepower than we had in the beginning of World War II? Yeah, well, with two things, the greater firepower and the knowledge yes. that the World War II strategy works and the Vietnam strategy doesn't. So why are we choosing the yeah. not working strategy? Well, what is it? But, is, this, is goes, yeah, this, this goes back yes. to you. Why is it that this and, and it dawned on me was a very simple answer. Because we didn't have the will to fight. Right. If you will, the faith. Right. We didn't have the clear mission. We didn't understand why we were fighting. In World War II, we, we understood that God was in the equation in our fight in a very big way. Uh, we, we had a sense of purpose. We understood what liberty meant. We understood what 
uh, what God meant for that matter. We understood that we were advancing our cause to, to fight for Western civilization against the Nazis and their godless ways. Okay, and, 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 that, and we had to team up with the enemy, uh, Russia, uh, the, the Soviet Union, for that purpose, but that's another story. We, we understood our purpose so clearly, and Roosevelt, to his credit, he was the one who said, we will not stop until we have unconditional surrenders, surrender from the Nazis and from the Japanese. That's our mantra. Yeah, and we there was no compromise. Nu- and we dropped nuclear weapons on Japan, and there was no political correctness outcry about disproportional firepower, right. or, or <laughs> did we are, are we racist because they're a different ethnicity? There was none of that. It was simply, this is evil, we have to destroy evil, and we know we're on God's side on this, and yeah. they aren't. Right. That, that, is, that is definitely the approach that we had. And, and it's funny, looking back on World War II, we called that the good war, right? Look, here's a war that if we actually adopted that same mentality today, we would say, oh, we are so imperialist. We are so uh, horrific. We are so lacking in compassion. All the, the phrases that you could possibly trot out. But, but people look now back at World War II and we understand how good that war was. And, yes. But, you know, we, we, and we know that crap happened. We know that uh, you know, some American soldiers must have done some bad things here and there. But all in all, fantastic war. We beat the bad guys. And, and that... That's what compelled me, in a sense, to open up the question as to the dangers of atheism. So there are many books about God and, and proving God. There are many books about uh, the lack of God, that God doesn't exist, Christopher Hitchens and so forth. Um, you know, plenty of those books. And those books are doing well, or if not equally well, to the books that, that prove God's existence or seek to show that God exists. But there are very few books, Ari, very few that talk about the dangers of atheism, about the dangers of a world without God. And frankly, I don't know of any. Um, there may be some, of course, they may be talking about it in, in fits and spurts, but not one book that's dedicated solely to that purpose. Yeah, and I, I think that's a, such a great and powerful point. And the, I, the, the other, the finishing point on that is that not only are there this incredible lack of books that warn about the, the the dangers of atheism, but if they do, they're they're generally exist for some other purpose, i.e., pushing a religious point of view, pushing a god point of view, and they also aren't. And this leads me to my next question: They're written either by theologians or scientists. They're not written by lawyers who look at legal logical arguments the way you do. You set up points and you lead us as if we're a jury being given evidence to make a important decision at the end of this. Well, thank you. Look, I, and, li- and I, like, I, th- I like to think that. Yeah. Uh, and, and the reason I think that's such an important point as a layperson is because science by its very nature is always incomplete. No matter how much humanity progresses in the sciences and the body of knowledge acquired, there's always something else to learn tomorrow. Right. No matter how much humanity learns in the theological realm, there's always another revelation on God's green earth and in God's universe, right? Right, right? But in the legal world, although law is not set forever because, you know, legislators could always pass new laws to take into new accounts and circumstance, the principles of how law is argued and how justice is sought is timeless. Yeah, it's time, but it's also logic. It's about proving, right. proving your case, whatever that case may be. It doesn't even matter what the laws are. If, you, if you're proving a case, you want to establish X. Like, for example, whatever X might be, you want to establish that man was speeding, okay? Yeah. How do you establish that? 
Uh, that's not a question of law. So you just want to establish that he was speeding above a certain, um, uh, you know, a speed Rate, limit. Yes. Right. Uh, did that man uh, breach a contract? Um, how did he breach it? Well, let's let's show. Um, did that man murder that other man? Uh, okay. Well, let's see the evidence that supports that. So for me, it, it's it's a question of uh, evidentiary analysis, and to me, it's compelling. Not just my book, um, but just the compelling that God must exist. That that a creator must exist first and foremost. Now, I know after I've come to the conclusion that there must be a creator, and I know that there's a creator. Okay, so bear with me on that. And then secondly, I believe that that creator, again, there's the word believe, knowing versus believing. I know that there's a creator, and I believe that that creator is the Bible, is the, is the God of the Bible that we, we know and love. I believe those stories, but that, that, that's like a difference between beyond a reasonable doubt in law and clear and convincing evidence in law, okay? So that's the way I look at it. There's, a, there's slightly, if you want to see it as percentages, then I feel with 99.999% uh, certainty that a creator exists, and I feel like uh, 75%, if not 80% and 85% that that is the same God of the Bible. So there's belief versus knowledge, right? So um, that's where I got to. But many people have challenged me on this. One of them was uh, the, what's called the association game. An atheist will say uh, this is an association uh, fallacy. They like to use that word, the fallacy. They have all sorts of Latin terms for their, their uh, the way of arguing. It's the, uh, the ex nihilo <laughs> allergy, you know, and it's all like a nicely compartmentalized for them because they've, they've packaged it so, so beautifully. So one of their arguments is the association fallacy. And the association fallacy basically says, look, because uh, godless uh, leaders have done terrible things, uh, therefore, you know, all atheists are, are bad people. That's not a fair association. And they're right. They're, they're absolutely right. You can have an atheist who is a wonderful person. I know more than a few atheists out there who are very nice people, good family people, uh, love their kids, uh, you, know, you know, would pick up litter off the street if they could, want the best for the world, and all those good things. But it's not, that's not the point. Uh, you, you don't get it. Um, the association, the, the godless, the dangers of godlessness is when godlessness assumes control of government. That's when we have big problems. Yeah, government, culture, and society. Right. And that association is 100% correlative. There is it, it, Nothing good has ever happened when godlessness takes, takes over government or society. Yeah, you might like to listen to a Bernie Sanders speech, but you don't want him running your country. <laughs> well, good example. Right. Exactly right. It's just, that's the last thing you would want. Again, thank God. Uh, well, I, I was an atheist, but thank God nobody no else, else is, is, right? Yes. So it's not a good place to be. You, you, you want to believe what you want to believe. Be my guest. I understand. Maybe you think this is, we all live in a matrix. Fine. Understand that. But you don't want to tell everyone that we live in a matrix, right? So just understand there's danger to that. You could, be, you could think you're smarter than everyone else. You might be right. Maybe there's no God. Maybe there's no creator. Okay? Believe that. I'm, I'm taking this up uh, totally separately and, and treating it separately altogether. It's just dangerous to believe that. You, you have to understand it. Very, very dangerous. <laughs> so there's the association game. Now, by the way, they play the association game far worse than 
than we do. Oh, yes, of right? course. Right? I mean, yes. how many times have you heard, you know, uh, you know, religion is terrible. It's, uh, you know, the Inquisition and the Crusades. Right, the Inquisition and the right? Crusades, things that happened 400 and 1,200 years ago. Yeah. Oh, but we can't have that. Right, you it's, know, it's ignoring crazy. Ignoring all these other factors that may or may not be at play from humans' condition in essentially the Dark Ages by comparison today. Well, yeah, but, no, and yeah. even assuming that the, the Inquisitions and the Crusades were totally the product of a religious uh, fanaticism, and uh, that that's the reason why these horrible things happened. And by the way, it, it, I mean, I, I have a large part of discussion about the Inquisition and the Crusades in my book, among many other supposed religious uh, horrors, and show that it's just not exactly what they would like it to believe. They, they just... It's, it's a cartoonish interpretation of, of what religion yeah, is. Yeah, they always point to these examples and say... And act as if that's religious religion as we know it and right. love it, practiced correctly, right. not ignoring the excesses and the human failings that may have led to such a thing. But, right. but when we point to the the uh, as you do in the book, the dangers and murders of atheism, when it is practiced correctly, right. they deny any association right. with yeah, it. Yeah, exactly right. It, so, you know, because of the Inquisition, again, assuming that that. Religion is what caused it and because of the Crusades and again assuming that religion caused it then all the religion is therefore not worthy of anything So and it begs the question like well, wait a minute uh, I, I mean to, to paraphrase that Janet Jackson song, right? Uh, what have you not done to me lately, right? Yes, <laughs> so Okay, so the the the, uh, the inquisitions occurred what in, in 1492 and and, and uh, About a hundred years thereafter. So we're talking about more than 500 years ago Don't you think? Yeah, you need to kind of let go. I mean, that's holding a grudge, don't you think? A 500-year grudge against religion. What what horrible things have happened? Yes, you know, you've got. I understand the pedophilia scandal. That's bad, but that but that doesn't mean that the Catholic Church supported it or that it's part of the very ideology of Catholicism. Yeah, it's not in the Bible to do that. Right. The people doing that were doing something extra biblicular, if you will. <laughs> right? right? Yeah, that's right. That's, that's a good point. I like that. Extra biblicular. I don't think I can pronounce that. Say it three Bib- times fast. Biblicular or something. <laughs> oh, man. That's that's like one of those uh, strange vocabulary words that you have to invent, right? Yeah. Anyway, that's exactly why I did yeah. there, right? Merged a couple things. And, so, you know. But that, that goes to the next point, which is that the atheist, it, it, he's so cute. You know, I just I just love him. The atheist, because he he's so cute the way he reasons. Like it's like a little kid, a five year old who who thinks that all you need to do to get money is just get, you know, to get money, right? You yeah, go to a bank, go to the bank, just go to the bank. It's there, and they'll, and they'll give you the money. Yeah, right. It's it's like, and you kind of like you nod your head and you say, "That's really sweet, Johnny. You know, that's cute, right? You know, you know what Johnny said today? You know, he says to his wife, "Isn't that cute? Yes, it's really cute." So the atheist is just like that, right? He's so kind of cute. Um, and and, and I, I say it, I know I'm, I'm coming off in a mocking way, but I was an atheist. I know how I used to think about these things. And, and they will, they expect that all religion is perfect, that, that mankind must be perfect. That's what makes it so cute. And I put that in, in, in air quotes. The atheist will understand, for example, that the police will sometimes take bribes. And sometimes go too far afield for of what they're supposed to be doing, right? God forbid a, a police stops a, a cute lady on the street and then rapes her, right? Uh, does that mean in those situations that we should not have a police force ever? 
because of, you know, it's more than one time it's happened and there's a lot of corruption in the police force. But of course, we, we would never say we need to abandon the police, right? We should have no police whatsoever. Likewise with the judiciary, right? There are some judges who, who are on the take. They take bribes, right? Shall we get rid of the judicial system? Of course not. And I can go on a fire department, you name it, have fun with it, okay? Many banks have uh, engaged in all sorts of uh, shenanigans. Shall we get rid of the banks? I can go on and on with it for, you know, for, I think for a year about all the examples of where we would never give up that particular institution merely because some bad people yeah, did some bad things with it. Every example under the sun of exists. Right, exists. parenthood. There's a, there's a breakout of salmonella in the spinach supply. Shall we ban spinach? There, you know, great example. A, there's a breakout of it in cantaloupe. Shall we ban cantaloupe? Yeah. Everything has risk. Right. You know, we don't ban things just because an occasional bad thing happens. But this is the funny thing is that the atheist never addresses this argument. It, they've never bought it. And, and to his credit and to the detriment of the religious side, they rarely bring this up. I've never actually heard it brought up very much. It's so basic. You need to call them out on this because it's kind of a cute argument that means nothing. Their assumption is that religion must be, must be perfect. But religion, just like, just like the judiciary, just like the police force, uh, are, are made up of, of human beings. Who knew, right? Priests and even the pope. As it turns out, they are made of flesh and blood, and they have their desires, they have their envies and jealousies. They try to conquer them, but nevertheless, they understand that they are frail, that they are sinful. And surprise, surprise, from time to time, these religious institutions engage in sinful acts themselves. Now, I, I'm, we would hope that it would be less than the average bear, so to speak, uh, but they would, and they would still teach and, and try to lead by example. I, I think the Pope, you know... I, you know, I'm quite sure that he doesn't engage in a lot of adulterous affairs. Uh, that would be very inconsistent with his belief. So, you know, that's his whole mantra and his whole ideology is based upon uh, attaining uh, either the best godly values possible. But even so, he'll fall short. Okay, that's just the way it is. In, in his own mind, the Pope um, will no doubt have some lustful thoughts when a pretty woman walks by. No doubt will feel envious uh, of, a, of another man's wealth. No doubt will we'll say to himself, why do I have to have all this attention? I'd rather just be on my own and on a beach sipping margaritas. Okay, I mean, I, I, I can't blame them. You couldn't blame them. Nobody could blame him. And so things will happen that, that are, are what we call human, okay? Humans are imperfect. Humans run institutions, and therefore institutions will be imperfect. There, there is no such thing as a perfect institution of any kind ever made, ever devised in history. But somehow, you understand, the atheist will insist that religion itself must be perfect. And if it's not perfect, well, poof, the whole system falls apart. Can I ask a quick question about that in that vein, see what you think about this? Um, do you think it's part of, this is sort of a legal question. You are a business and real estate attorney, right? Yeah, that's what they and tell me. And in real estate, you have disclosure requirements, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in business, you have uh, labeling requirements. Our products have these things that, that may... Is it, in a, is it the business have or real estate property owners' fiduciary responsibility before transfer beyond the reasonable amount of disclosures about issues with whatever they're producing or selling? To do what's called, I, I label loosely, anti-marketing on their own behalf or to their own detriment. 
And, no. and and then the so that's the first half of the question. And then to connect it to, is it a religion's fiduciary duty to disclose to the potential flock and congregation all of the things wrong with the people running a, an institution that falls short of the ideal? No, it would be absurd. I mean, the whole, exactly. The, the, you know, it's. <laughs> You can't. You would end up spending too much time on on, on that matters that don't involve the business of your institution. Right. So, like in the case of cigarettes, a warning label suffices. You yeah. don't have to go on and on and actually run commercials for Marlboro cigarettes. This is John. Yeah. This is John with cancer because of us. Right. right? No, I, I, I get it. I get it. Um, but but moving on to, again to the association thing. Yeah, because uh, I I only bring that up because you know the atheist treats it as if that's what religion's first and foremost duty should be. Uh, I no, I mean speaking as a former atheist, I can't speak for all atheists, but speaking for the what I would would say in the olden days, I would say, look, you guys did a lot of crap in the old days, and uh, you know you're not so high and mighty, and in fact that proves that you guys, um, you know, it, it's it, you're too ironic for me. You know, you you preach. Uh, certain things about justice and, and goodness and such, and then you do exactly the opposite. So I don't need to listen to your crap. That's, that was the approach that I had and I think that many atheists have. And they're, they, they, they think very highly of themselves in that department. But it's a flawed argument. That's, that's my point. Again, with the, now, and also with the association game, um, the, the whole thing about uh, radical Islam, right? And I deal with that in my book. And, and I thought I was going to have a tougher time dealing with this because radical Islam is a major, major issue. And you have to deal with it. As a serious person fighting atheism, you best, and you want to champion religion, you better deal with radical Islam. Because Islam uh, historically has had some really bad stuff that resulted from it, especially on the radical side. And speaking for today only, you've got the Paris uh, attacks, you've got the Brussels attacks, the Nice, and Fort Hood. Uh, oh, and the Manhattan attack. The, the, other day. the recent yes. Manhattan attack, you have, of course, 9 11. Uh, these were all done by religious crazies. No, no, you can't get around that. Right? Yeah, not, not yeah. in the focus of your book, being atheism kills. These were not atheists. Right. Who, these are not atheists, yes. right? Um, so I have two responses to that. First of all, the book is, tall, is called Atheism Kills. It's not called Only Atheism Kills. Right. All right? So to, to say that, that hey, hey, here's radical Islam, so so much for your theory about, about uh, the horrors of, of atheism. Well, wait a minute. <laughs> That's like Ted Bundy saying, well, I can't be a killer because, you know, Charles Manson killed somebody. Right? I mean, no, you could both be killers. <laughs> There's room for both of you to be killers in this big world of ours. Okay. <laughs> But you're both friggin' murderers, all right? You don't get a pass because somebody else also murdered. Yeah, John Wayne Gacy doesn't go get to come up and say, "Hey, I dressed like a clown and only did it to kill to kids. I only half murdered because they were only half grown." Right? right exactly. Oh, yeah. Well, that's that's another uh, argument you could be making. But the point is, the fact that somebody else is doing committing violence doesn't doesn't absolve you of the violence that you did yourself. So that's very cute where they argue that radical Islam has done this horrible stuff and, and, and Islam is ostensibly uh, and, and very arguably a, a religion of faith and look at all the horrors that this religion has done. Therefore, you know, I, I wipe my hands clean of all religion altogether. Well, it's, a, it's the association game, isn't it? Um, and, and, of course, they, many of these atheists, ironically... They're very liberal also. There's a very strong correlation between atheism and liberalism. Very few conservative atheists. There are, there are a few of them, but very few. And so these liberals, these atheist liberals, 
will be great champions of radical Islam. Uh, not radical, but, Islam. but Islam, generally yeah. speaking, is saying— They're the first ones who jump in when one of these things happens and says, well, that's not the real Islam. Right. right? It's weird, yeah. right? I mean, they, they absolutely despise Christianity and Judaism, but particularly Christianity. Oh, it's just so <laughs> absurd. And, and, but when, it, when Islam is involved, well, it's a religion of peace. They're wonderful. We, we need to understand them more. Like, wait a minute. I, I thought you were an atheist. So, <laughs> You're right. But it, it's strange. The, the, the association game doesn't play very well. Here's another association that, that I, I find fascinating, and then we can move to other topics beyond association. You'll hear people say, and I've heard this so many times again, you know, atheists, they're very, uh, they're really, um, it seems to be a bright way of thinking. It seems to them that the, that the PhDs and the geniuses and the Stephen Hawking's and things, you know, who's obviously a brilliant man, that they're the atheists. So atheism, you understand, is an intelligent ideology, and therefore it must be right with a capital R, okay? So <clears throat> that's their association. But let me ref refute that now. Did you know, Ari? Did you know <laughs> that it turns out that the elites, the, our intellectual superiors uh, from the Ivy Leagues and from the Stanfords and such like that, they, uh, they love progressivism. They loved fascism. Wait for it. They loved communism. They, they loved, still do. Yeah, so oh, that's per, true. Present tense. Yeah, but, but, but they, 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 they don't enjoy fascism <laughs> anymore. But they loved it. Oh, they loved it so much. And they loved eugenics. Eugenics is the policy of sterilizing people on the grounds that they were not fit for society. Yeah. And God forbid that they should reproduce. Yeah, and they still love that. They just call it oh, abortion yeah. now. <laughs> That's right. So. They were big fans of the one-child policy in China. Big, big fans. Big, <laughs> right? Huge. Huge, Huge fans, yeah. <laughs> they loved it. They, and, and they loved it because, you know, at least China is doing something about its, uh, you know, massive population, and we got to really be serious about this stuff. And... And it's now they look back like, oh, crap, that, that didn't turn out too well, right? Uh, in my book, I make a reference to it. It's like, it's like a, a, a politician, or it doesn't matter, anybody, a man who gets caught cheating with a mistress. His wife barges into the room, whatever, catches the man with his mistress. And then she looks at the mistress, and she goes, wow, she's pretty ugly. <laughs> and, and she's a little insulted that he would cheat on on. On a woman who's that ugly, like what? What does that say about her? <laughs> right? So they all, they kind of come to an understanding. The man and the woman. That is so brilliant. <laughs> Let's not talk about this very Could much. Could you have done? Could you have at least done it with someone better looking? <laughs> right. No, but but the point is that they they don't they don't talk about it. Yeah. Right. Okay. Let's pretend this never happened. Right. Okay. That's what you're seeing among the, the liberal community, the, the, our intellectual betters. They don't talk about their, their love affair with fascism because guess what? It was pretty damn ugly. All right? They really— Yeah, they uh, cannot be caught in bed with that yeah, one. that's right. And they don't want anyone they love to have been caught in bed with that right, one. Right, right. So that, that's, that's the way. Look, the, the story—the book is full of metaphors and full of fun stories— like that, really. Um, I, I think it's kind of enjoyable read. People like that. It, it engages them. Well, I think that's what's so incredible about your style is because this is not light material. 
Uh, no. I mean, you know, lo- lots of laughs. <laughs> this stuff, not really. But you do this book with so many laughs without undermining the the um, substantive thrust of what this is about. Because, it, you know, this is, I, I think, getting over onto the rail of the quality of the writing and, and the product you produced, which is, you know, the best stuff, the best kind of movie has both laughter and tears. And as they say, something for everyone, right? right. And you've done that with this book because you're talking about of movement that has resulted in the mass murder of more people on planet Earth than any other, okay? Right. Not a lot of laughs there on its surface, but you do so which, with such a, a beautiful light touch and a, a contrast. So while you're reading about the horrors, say, of China, you're, there's almost a wry laughter at, at the irony of how did humanity wind up in this place and how did we get these, these intellectual morons, these elitist morons, to actually be okay with this? Yeah. And you, it is you fascinating, mock them right? with the right, and I yeah. think you have this—the deft touch of, of class and taste—that is emblematic of who you are as a person. Well, oh, gosh, thank you very much. I, 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 I'm, I'm flattered, and I, I appreciate that. Look, it, yeah, it spoken was, by someone, by the way, who doesn't <laughs> have those. No, things. no, but the way you said it was very nice. I appreciate that. Look, I, I guess part of the reason why is, you know, I feel like that musician who sometimes has sometimes has that beautiful song that comes out of them. And, and I, I like the way they describe it. They say, how did you come up with this? And he said, listen, I, I didn't come up with it. It was just some sort of gift that came to me. It was uh, something was given to me, and I, I'm simply the, um, the channeler, the channeler yeah. of, the, of the music. And I respect that. I think there's something to that. It, you know, yes, they, disco- they discovered the song. In the same way, um, I was able to take this from a different angle. I discovered this angle. How about that? When you take the approach of, let's look at only the dangers of atheism, forget about the actual ideology, right or wrong, you know, there is a part of it in the book, of course, but that's not the main thrust of the book. The, right or, the, um, the dangers of it is really what this book focuses on. And when you see, uh, when you ask the question, uh, if you look at it that way, you begin to see it a completely different way. Right. Remember, remember where you, when you were a kid in uh, elementary school and you learned about the human body, right? And you had these different transparencies over them. Here is a circulatory system, right? And then you lift it up. And th- here is the um, digestive, uh, d- digestive system. system. The you lift it up. System, yeah. The nervous system, the electrical system, whatever it might be, you, you see it in a different way. Okay. And you can, so likewise, you can see everything in civilization in terms of, uh, you can see history from the, the context of godlessness. Right? Here's a world without God. Here's how it happened without God. And does that explain a lot of the history that we saw? Because if you don't see it that way, and I, and I put it to you that that's the only history that kind of explains everything that we see, that we see and the, the results of it, whether it's World War II or Afghanistan and so on, if you don't see it, then it's just a bunch of stuff that happens. First this war happened, then that war happened, then this war happened. And there's just no guiding principle to it. Yeah, Nothing the that makes wheel as you talk about. Right. Yeah. yeah, there's there's no point to it. There's no understanding of why it happened, nor are you able to make predictions of the future. That's why you and I, you and I Ari, uh, we both made that bold prediction that Notre Dame will become a mosque one day. We're able to do that because we can see history in the context of godlessness. And where we have abandoned God, well, horrible things happen. And it's, it's very consistent. So that's, that's the way I, I was able to take this. And uh, the stories kind of reveal themselves in the process. So 
here's the weird thing. Every time in history there was mass murder, mass murder, I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to test this theory of mine. And the, the thesis was, where there was mass murder, it was always godlessness behind it. Okay? So I thought, okay, well, let's try that. So sure enough, it has a 100% correlation. Okay? Wherever there was mass murder. I mean, and when I talk about mass murder, I'm like 20,000 uh, 20, uh, people at a time. Like, boom. And then, then 40,000, then 50,000. And then, of course, Hitler with his, his machinery to kill millions and millions of people all at the same time. But Stalin did the same thing. It was, just an, it was just not as organized. But yeah, he may have actually killed more than, than Hitler did. Yeah, you're talking about like Cambodia's <clears throat> killing fields, Ma right. Mao's starvations, right. Stalin's starvations and, and uh, gulags, Hitler's death camps, right. you know, the, the big stuff. Right, the big stuff. Yeah. The, uh, the Inquisition, so, you know, people talk about the Inquisition. People don't know how many people actually died. I mean, it's worth asking the question, right? <clears throat> and it turns out that only, um, I mean, it's like 50 people a year died. Um, over the span of about, I don't know, uh, 50, 100 years. Right. There's a great it's, line in the beginning of the movie L.A. Confidential, which is about crime in L.A. in the 1950s. And it's a great line delivered with no irony by Danny DeVito, who's sort of a narrator of the movie. He says, such and such terrible gangster, worst gangster in L.A., he kills dozens of people a year. <laughs> right? <laughs> right, right. Dozens. Oh, dozens? That's, yeah, that's it. Right. That's right. right. Yeah, and yeah. it's a reflection of both the small size of the town at the time and how... In, in better times, people didn't do stuff on such horrible scales, right. you know? Yeah. Well, they you know? certainly so did it. it's the same thing with the Inquisition. It killed dozens of people <laughs> a year. That's right. <laughs> right. <laughs> it, it, that's what it was. It was yeah. dozens of people a year, maybe even less. It was, it was paltry compared to what Hitler did. He had six million people. Uh, and that's just Jews alone. Actually, 11 million people when you, you combine the, the, his other victims. Just, just victims, not the people who died in the war as soldiers and otherwise, just real victims that he actually put into concentration camps and killed them. That was really a span of four and a half years. 11 million people. That's, I mean, how can you compare that to what the Inquisition had done? How can you compare what the, Crus the Crusades did, didn't do anything like that? Yeah, Nothing yeah, like the that. The last few days we were <laughs> watching um, baseball, which unlike the NFL this year has actual full stadiums, right? Right. So we're watching the, the World Series games. So you're seeing a 50,000 seat stadium filled to capacity so when you when you think about hitler's work you're thinking about stadium after stadium after stadium full of people just liquidated yeah. i mean staggering numbers yeah it, it is staggering and and that is what fascinated me so i looked at any time there was staggering numbers to use your phrase there was atheism behind it there was godlessness and it started in my mind with the the french revolution and that revolution, I mean, here is something that was supposed to be about liber liberty and equality reason. and reason and fraternity and all that stuff. Well, you know, it, it, look what happened, okay? It, it was, but it was also, people forget this, it was an attack on the church. That revolution was as much fostered by a hatred of the church as it was a, uh, an expression to, uh, to seek freedom. Uh, or that, overthrow a king. Or overthrow a king. They, they, the king was, was actually fine, and he was actually going to reform the excesses of the church, but by then it was too late. Uh, and then, of course, we get into Stalin, we get into Mussolini, we get into Mao. I mean, it, it, and every single one of them, single one of them is, um, is a, it was godless. Then it's interesting. You look at it from the other perspective. So then you look at, or let's look at only the godless regimes and see whether or not they've committed mayhem. Okay, so 
it's the other side of the coin, right? Look at all the, the massive murder, and is there uh, godlessness behind it? The answer is yes. Now look, let's look at all the godless regimes and see if there was massive murder to it, right? And the answer is yes to that too. Anytime there was godlessness behind a regime, horrific things happened. It was only a matter of scale. Like uh, Ceausescu, for example, Romania. Yeah, smaller country. Smaller country, but during that revolution alone in 1989, he killed 5,000 people, just like that. Yeah, without, even, without, to... even, without even blinking, he did yeah. that. To say nothing of all the excesses he did way before then. Yeah, and, and today, the, the one I point to is, is fitting this exact mold is North Korea. But because it's the hermit kingdom and we don't get the information out of there, there isn't an accounting for what they've done, truly. Right. And, and until the regime falls, there won't be. But... Any, you have to be an idiot not to know that the numbers are incredibly high for a completely atheistic right. governmental system. Right. That on that it that projects to the world how orderly and reasonable it is. Right. So let me let me pause for station identification with uh, you know what, what I call in my book a, now a word from atheism. Right. The atheist will now turn in and come into this conversation and and this is you know a serious atheist will say this. Listen, you might be right about this. Ari and Barack, I, I guess I can't quibble with you. I mean, numbers are numbers, and it does seem pretty bad what uh, godlessness has done. But that doesn't mean that there is a God. And w what matters is reality, my friends. So you may not like it. You may say that it's dangerous. And look, I agree with you. It's dangerous. Fine. And, and as, as Barack Lurie said in the beginning of the show, when he was an atheist, he was right. He was an atheist, but thank God nobody else is, right? Uh, you know, we live in a matrix, right? We, it's a horrific world. Well, let's try to make the best of it. Let's try to navigate it. But for us, intellectual superiors, we know the truth, and all you schmucks uh, need religion because, you know, we need to kind of keep you down. In other words, religion is the opiate of the people. Okay, how about that? What's, you know, what's wrong with that, Mr. Lurie? What's wrong with that, Mr. David? Right? I, I, and I'll tell you what's wrong with that. Because it's not just uh, the, the fact that, that it kills people. It kills everything else. It kills the world that you yourself, Mr. Atheist, actually believe in. You don't know that you believe in it. Remember that atheist I told you about, the many atheists that I have that you have too, that live very fulfilling lives. Right? They write books, they, they, they lectures, they get meaning out of things, they, they, they enjoy beauty. And Chablis, That's they right. look at a sunset. Yeah. Right, right. They, they, they want to advance it. They have children for that matter, right? And they teach their children important lessons of life. Uh, to which you say, why? Why would you do that? <clears throat> if you actually believe in all your crap, then why, why do anything <clears throat> to have... Um, to, have a, a, to improve the world for uh, next generations. Your only mantra should be, how many goodies can I get? How many women can I have intercourse with? Or men, if, you like, if that's your right, if that's If that floats your boat, <laughs> right? right? Um, and how many, uh, you know, and how much money can I get? And how many vacations can I have? Yeah, how drunk can I get? How high can that's I right. get? And, how much uh, and, can I steal? Right, and, right. I was going to say, uh, how much can I get away with? Right. right? And that's, that's the mantra you should have. And then just laugh your way to the end of your life. And just and laugh at all the suckers who waste their time at church and waste their time believing that there's an afterlife. That's what you should do. But you can't have it both ways. You are living what I call a cafeteria lifestyle uh, in terms of the way you want to pick and choose what floats your boat. 
But the moment you say, I value creativity, the moment you say, I value beauty, the moment you say, I love music of any kind, whatever, it floats your boat there, the moment you say, I have purpose in my life, you are leading a life that is inconsistent with your godlessness, okay? It, it just cannot be that. And you need to think it through. So it's dangerous not only for society, but it's dangerous for you, okay? I, I expect the atheist to be intellectually honest. Let, let, us, let us take them at their word that they are the most intelligent people out there, right? They, they insist on telling you, well, you know, Stephen Hawking's an atheist. Well, I, and I'm an atheist too. So therefore, I like this association, right? Putting aside all the progressivism, love of fascism that we talked about before. Yeah, we're not getting into politics. Yeah, we're not getting here, into that. We normally no, it's not even. It's not politics, right? But I'm just making that point for this thrust right. here. It's not about that. So putting that all aside, you need to understand how dangerous it is to to believe this, to to actually live in a world of atheism. It's dark, my friends. I was there. Here's what happens when you truly live a life of atheism. When it really animates your life, it it changes the way you understand your fellow man, and how you treat your fellow man, okay? It's, it's, it does not lead you to be better. It leads you to, to suspect your fellow man, because after all, if you're somebody that, that uh, thinks that everything is random, that there is no purpose to anything, that it's all about what you can get, goodies-wise, from life, well, then you will assume the same thing of your fellow man. That's right. You so, become a predator and you expect them to be right. predatory towards you. And what do two predators do competing for the same piece of meat? They fight. That's right. And, and they don't plan for tomorrow. It's only right now. Right. Now, the atheist will jump in and say, no, that's not the way I believe. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. You yourself say it. You say the life is about survival of the fittest. Well, uh, sure. oh, wait, 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 hold on, hang on, hang on. Sure. It's about survival of the fittest. You say that you explains everything in the world to you. You, you espouse it. You say that everything we have is a question of evolution, which is defined by survival of the fittest, right? And, you know, the, the, the white bear now becomes the more likely to survive the harsh winter environment because, well, you know, the, the, the climate has changed yeah. and, uh, and now he's camouflaged. So you get the idea. And, and everything can be explained that way, including humor, including beauty and everything. And they don't know how to explain it, but that's another story. And, and it's actually very funny to, to engage them about that, those sorts of things. But they live in a world where everything's survival of the fittest. So in other words, they live the law of the jungle. And what you had just said, Ari, was, kind of triggers me to, to say that. Because the, the, what are the three main missions? And they're, really, they're, they're, these are the main missions. And you don't need to jump in with other ones. The main missions of animals in the jungle are threefold. One is to mate, one is to eat, and one is to not be eaten, <laughs> okay? Those are the three things. Thank you very much, and have a nice day. Nothing else matters. There is no value in anything else, okay? You can say, well, what about, you know, who's the leader of the pack and such like that? No, that's just only strength. That's only a manifestation of survival of the fittest. Well, that's part of the mate part. Right. You're fighting, you're fighting for that position. Exactly. You so, get so, it or you don't. Yeah. So the, let's say... You know, one caribou rapes a female caribou, right? Rapes it. Like, she doesn't want to be, you know, taken. He's trying to do it, and he manages to do it. Okay, that is no different in terms of its value than a leaf falling from a tree. That's just stuff that happens. That is the jungle. That's the way it works. 
I, you know, I never forgot. I saw one of these nature channels, uh, one of these nature, I think it was called Planet Earth, right? And you see this wolf at some point, and he's chasing, they're showing how he's, he's chasing this one little lamb that has broken away from the pack, and, you know, it's, it's not going to be pretty in the end. So the, the, the little lamb is running away, and, and, of course, the wolf catches up to him, and you see him pouncing on the little lamb. And it's all from the distance of a helicopter, but you can still see enough. And I, it, it never, I never forgot how that little lamb seemed just kind of resigned. Okay, well, they caught me, and now I'm going to die. If it were a human, you know, a human kind of, God forbid, raping or killing, or that victim will be screaming. The, the outrage, the, the, the sense of horror. But no sense of horror like that in that little lamb. Right? Nothing like that. that because he knows the rules. <laughs> These are the yeah, rules. Tag, I'm caught. You're caught. Okay. All right. That's, that's, that's part of the deal. Okay? And he failed in one of the main missions, which is not to be eaten. <laughs> right? And sorry. Uh, you know, have a nice day, so to speak. That's the law of the jungle. That's what the atheist must believe. There is no value in anything else. And, and the, why, the reason why I can say that so confidently it's because they themselves say it. Everything can be explained by way of survival of the fittest. That's it. So I say it's, you know, you, you can say to yourself all day long that, yeah, it's, it's dangerous, a dangerous ideology, but I'll, I'll live peacefully and enjoy my life this way. No, you're not even going to enjoy your own life. You, you can't. It's like many people tell me, um, why don't you just enjoy your cheeseburgers and your chips and your cheese doodles and such like that? You might as well just enjoy your life because you're going to die whenever you're going to die. To which I say, look, I'd rather enjoy my life in the process. So I, I want to, I'll, I'll eat healthy foods and, and frankly, I'll learn to like healthy foods anyway and I'll enjoy my life in the process. It's the same sort of thing, isn't it? You, you, if you want to enjoy your life, there's no better way than to embrace God and to understand that you have purpose and, to, and then to eventually open the doors to understand that your main mission is to find God. It's the only way you can explain why we are, where we are, and how we think and everything else. The ability to communicate that with the way we do, the, the ability to appreciate beauty the way we do. Everything we do is a manifestation of God. It's, it's a clarity. That, that God must exist. Maybe not the God of the Bible. I believe that. But you do need to believe that there is a creator. At the very least, understand that there has to be a creator. Because only a creator can give you free will. Only a creator can give you the, the sense of justice and freedom and, um, and purpose and, and the past and the, the present. All those things. You have to, you have to do that. Uh, it's a... It's, it's a terrifying world to live as an atheist, my friends. I was there. I don't recommend it to anybody. Don't take that pill, as it were. Because contrary to the movie The Matrix, where it supposedly opens your eyes to the reality, the inverse is true. Atheism squashes your sense of knowledge. It squashes everything that you might hold dear, or they claim to hold dear. It squashes your intellectual capacity. And only with God can we truly uh, ascend in our lives. And only with God can we fight true evil. And that, my friend, is why we must have God now. I'm Brock Lurie. Thanks for listening. We'll talk with you next week.